Okay, Alan, let's talk about your older lady with locally advanced disease. She's a 77-year-old woman, and she presented with a 10-centimeter breast mass. She had a core biopsy. It showed invasive ductal carcinoma, grade 3. ER was 10%, PR less than 5%. HER2 was 1.9 by fish. She had a large axillary lymph node, 3 centimeters, aspirated, positive for malignant cells. She had a PET CT, which showed a mass in the left breast, large left axillary and subpectoral nodes, and a small area of decreased attenuation of the liver, increased uptake in T9 vertebral body, uncertain significance. MRI of the spine didn't show anything in the spine. So she was not anxious to receive systemic chemotherapy. In fact, initially she was unwilling to take systemic chemotherapy. You know, she had locally advanced breast cancer, some question of metastasis. So initially I treated her with Femora. And she was even reluctant to take the Femora, but she took it. And she was on it for a month and had clear evidence of progression. The breast mass got larger. So I started her on weekly Taxol, and she completed four cycles. But after her fourth cycle, the breast mass appeared to be worse. There were now inflammatory changes over the skin, and I got a PET scan, and the PET scan confirmed that she's got disease progression locally and in the axilla, but no evidence for distant metastasis. Interestingly, her initial HER2 was equivocal, 2+, plus, and so the fish, naturally, was also equivocal, 1.9. So the question is what to do now. We sent over to radiation oncology. They said that radiation wouldn't be helpful, and that's where we are. So, Joe, before we start dissecting the technical parts of this case, I'm curious about your thoughts about this woman's advanced clinical presentation. Well, unfortunately, in certain regions of New York City where people do have access to health care, there is often a reluctance to seek appropriate preventive care and even just primary care. And I think this patient represents an example of that. And there are also some individuals who will ignore an obvious health problem and delay their seeking medical care. She was a lovely lady. I would say that she was relatively intact for her age and had a clear understanding of her illness and the potential complications of her illness. And she also had a supportive and caring family. In fact, I believe she lived with her son. Her son was there. She lives with her son, yes. And her son accompanied her at the time of her visit. And I think for someone who's 77 years old to not be terribly interested in chemotherapy is perfectly appropriate, even though she really lacked any significant comorbidities and was relatively intact and functional and desired a less aggressive approach, which I think is appropriate. Now, you mentioned that she had a lot of reluctance about chemo, and yet she received paclitaxel. How did she tolerate it? Fine. No significant side effects from it. She did express to both Joe and me today how important it is to her that she not be made sick by the chemotherapy. She lives with her son, and she's totally independent in the way she functions. But as she said, her son goes out to work every day, and she really does need to be able to take care of herself. So she doesn't want to be made sick by the treatment. So, Joe, first let's just assume that this is straightforward HER2-negative disease. I'll ask you about the HER2 and HER situation. But assuming you become convinced this is HER2-negative disease, what would kind of your next thought be in terms of therapy? 
Well, the standard options, of course, would include a single-agent Cape Cytobine, which I think would be perfectly acceptable and appropriate. It was something that we discussed with her, and she would prefer not to have to take pills on a regular basis. So we discussed that as an option, and that seemed less desirable to her, primarily because of that reason, although if she did have to take pills on a regular basis, it was something that she would be willing to do, as she demonstrated with the Fumara. A second option would be to change her chemotherapy to an alternative chemotherapy regimen, including potentially capecitabine as an option, and adding bevacizumab. We now have data from Ribbon 2 showing that bevacizumab can produce uh, clinical benefit in a second-line setting such as this. And that would be, I think, another appropriate option to consider. She does have hypertension, but she otherwise doesn't really have any, she certainly doesn't have any absolute contraindications. And her hypertension is well-controlled, so I don't think that would be a consideration. What about another form of endocrine therapy, Joe? I think that that would be a reasonable alternative. The sense, though, that we had from looking at her, examining her, that this disease is progressing fairly rapidly. Yes. And I would feel more comfortable with that if this was someone who had, say, a good initial response or prolonged period of stabilization with endocrine therapy, first-line endocrine therapy. Additionally, her tumor is not terribly positive. It's ER positive, about 10% of cells, PR in less than 5%. So this is someone who I'd be concerned about relying on endocrine therapy. If she had no evident disease and, say, had a few abnormalities on imaging studies and maybe an elevated tumor marker, I might be willing to give a second-line endocrine therapy trial. But she has a pretty large left breast mass. She's beginning to develop satellite nodules on the skin. This could break down soon. So I think we both felt that there was a need for her to have a response sooner rather than later. Now, is she still on paclitaxel? She stopped it just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, would a consideration be to sort of continue the paclitaxel and add in bevacizumab? I don't think that there's... Well, certainly in Ribbon 2, patients switched to an alternative chemotherapy regimen. So for whatever chemo they received as part of Ribbon 2, it was not the same as what they were initially exposed to. And we do know that at least from the initial trials with bevacizumab in patients with chemotherapy refractory disease, there wasn't much of a response rate when used as a single agent. So although I think that that paradigm may be true for anti-HER2-directed therapy, I'm not sure that the same would necessarily be true for therapy directed against VEGF. Now, what about HER2 and this FISH of 1.9? Certainly, one of our primary concerns is to make sure that every therapeutic alternative that is potentially available, she has access to. And there was some concern about whether this was a false negative or false intermediate test. So we looked at the report to determine the time of fixation, and it was within the ASCO CAP guidelines of between 6 and 48 hours between the time of fixation and analysis. And it was 2 plus by IHC, and the FISH ratio was 1.9, and it appeared that an adequate number of cells were counted. But nevertheless, we felt it would be prudent to retest the tumor to assure that this information that we're basing our decisions on is correct. Incidentally, this assay was sent out to an outside high-volume reference lab. Not that a high-volume reference lab can't make a mistake, but the likelihood of having a false negative in that scenario was less. What about some of the other newer HER2 tests that are out there, HERMARC and all these other things? Anything that would help in that regard? I'm not sure that any of these newer tests are more predictive of a potential response to trastuzumab. I'm not sure that the level of evidence is quite there yet to support that. And if you decided, and it sounds like, I guess you're going to repeat the test, and if you get back the exact same findings of one9 what do you think you'd most likely want to do? I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to give her chemotherapy plus Herceptin. 
because Herceptin is clearly a major change in cancer treatment. And if there's anything that might potentially help this woman dramatically, it would be Herceptin if she is responsive to it. Let me just say, regarding the issue of whether to use trastuzumab, we're sort of in an unusual, strange situation here where in the setting of early-stage disease, there's evidence to suggest that women who may have low levels of expression of HER2 that's in the intermediate range may derive some benefit from adjuvant trastuzumab, but there's no information to suggest that that's true in patients with metastatic disease. So I think if there is a doubt about the results of the test or there's no access to tissue, then that would be, I think, a reasonable thing to consider. In terms of alternative agents, I think the evidence would suggest that you could probably partner it with a number of different cytotoxic agents. And that the important point is that you're using the anti-HER2-directed therapy in combination with the cytotoxic agents. So the agents that could be used could include capecitabine, alternative anti-tubulin agents such as ixabepilone, perhaps venerelbine, agents that have different mechanisms of actions such as gemcitabine. So I think any of those would be a reasonable option. I want to bring up one other issue about this patient, just as far as the systemic options. Joe and I talked about possibly giving her doxel. You know, she hasn't received an anthracycline, and she did you know, express the desire to have toxicity minimized. And doxel, active agent, anthracycline, relatively low toxicity if you can avoid hand-foot syndrome. So we talked about that a little bit. Another thing Joe and I talked about is Joe actually has published a study combining doxel with Herceptin. Hmm. And thinking about that a little bit. I don't know, if Joe, if you want to say anything about that. Yeah, this is a trial that was done through ECOG. We haven't quite published it yet. We're trying, but it was a trial for first-line therapy, metastatic breast cancer, evaluating the combination of pegylated liposomal doxorubicin and docetaxel, either alone in patients with HER2-negative disease or in combination with trastuzumab in patients with HER2-positive disease. And we found several things. First of all, that the addition of trastuzumab to PLD plus docetaxel did not increase the risk of cardiac toxicity. Secondly, we found, however, that adding trastuzumab to that combination greatly increased the risk of skin toxicity. Now, bear in mind that this also included docetaxel. So there are other studies that have combined PLD with trastuzumab showing similar findings in the sense that you can use this combination safely from a cardiac toxicity perspective, but that you are getting more skin toxicity with the PLD than you would when you combine it with trastuzumab. So I think I would be more comfortable with that option in the setting if I knew this person had HER2-positive disease. Here, one of the major stated goals of the patient was, and she said it herself, was that she didn't want the treatment to disrupt her life. And we thought that one infusion of PLD every four weeks was much less intrusive than many of the other options that we had. And if you think about it, it has a very similar toxicity profile as capecitabine. Right. And I think most people would view that profile as being acceptable. So for this particular patient, that seemed to be an acceptable option. And while we're waiting to evaluate her response to that, her tumor will be retested for HER2 to assure that she doesn't have a HER2-positive tumor. I think it's a great idea. 